Well, good morning, church. Great to see you. Uh, so many of you in the room. Great to have you online joining us. Uh, love for you. If you brought a Bible today, uh, analog or electronic, uh, to find Luke chapter 12. We're going to spend a good bit of time in Luke chapter 12 this morning. While you're turning there, uh, I want to let you know we started this thing back in January, a monthly prayer gathering for adults. We call it First Wednesday because in the Hebrew, no, it's just because it happens on the first Wednesday of the month. And uh, it's at six o'clock and we're going to be meeting in the seminar room. We take a different kind of topic each time to, to increase our uh, skill in praying and to pray together. And uh, this coming Wednesday, it's going to be on compassion. So if you feel any kind of a compassion deficit in your life, we'd love to pray about that. That, uh, with you this coming Wednesday. Well, uh, we've been following Jesus into some of the practices uh, that Jesus embodied and taught, and uh, we've been focused on Scripture and, and uh, on Sabbath and friendship and solitude, and today we want to talk about the practice of simplicity. Uh, in a moment, um, we'll read a passage from Luke chapter 12. Uh, but I want to set this up with a story because it was about two months into the pandemic. It was a Sunday morning. I was at home, unshaven. So weird. Uh, so weird. But, uh, um, and I, um, I was sitting on the sofa with my family and we were participating in a pre-recorded VRBC worship service. And, uh, and I participated in most of the service, but when it came time for the sermon, uh, I decided I couldn't bear to listen to that guy preach to me. You know, they, they say the camera adds 60 pounds, and, uh, um, and I, I just didn't want to sit under my own preaching. I wanted to be fed. Uh, and, uh, and so I did this often during that strange season while my family was listening to pre-recorded dad preach. Uh, I would put my headphones on and I would find another sermon on the internet to listen to. And on this particular Sunday, May 2020, I listened to a sermon on the passage that I'm going to preach on. Uh, the preacher's name was John Mark Comer, and he spoke on the topic of simplicity. I know some of you have been reading his book, uh, the, uh, the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's an excellent book. Many of our, on our staff have, uh, we've read it as well. So I, I found a sermon to be fascinating. I don't know if I'd ever heard a sermon on simplicity before. Uh, and I went back uh, a couple of weeks ago, I went back to find that old journal. And I didn't take nearly enough good notes to plagiarize uh, his sermon. Uh, and I, I don't believe in plagiarism. Uh, I, can't, I can't pronounce those big words that other preachers use. And so, uh, but, but I can tell you that, that for the last couple of years, I've been thinking about that topic. Um, I was struck by that word, simplicity. It's an interesting word to describe a spiritual practice, isn't it? Because a lot of our spiritual practices we've talked about are, are very discrete activities, like praying or reading scripture or fasting. But simplicity is much a, a quality of mind as it is a, an activity. Um, now, I would like to say that uh, ever since hearing that sermon two years ago, my life has been radically transformed. I would like to say that that would not be true. But it is true that that teaching uh, and, and subsequent thoughts and, and prayer about it since has kind of gotten under my skin. Uh, it at the very least has exposed some unpleasant things about my default patterns of thinking in life. It has pointed me towards some hopeful possibilities and in a couple of instances, I can actually see, praise God, some, some, some things that I've done differently 
based on this teaching. And so with that in mind, I, I want to offer you some of these insights. Um, in a moment, we're going to read a rather lengthy teach, a, a section of teaching on simplicity. But before we get there, I think we need to know what precedes it, because what precedes it is important. Uh, there's a rather famous parable that Jesus told to set up the teaching we're going to look at. And I, uh, instead of reading it to you, I'll just paraphrase it for you. There was a guy uh, who found himself on a lucky street. He got a really lucky break, you might say. He owned this plot of land. He'd been farming it for years. But one year, I mean, he got this incredible bumper crop. And the sheer abundance of the crop created a, a good kind of problem for him, in a sense. He didn't have enough space in his current barns to hold all of the produce, all the wealth, all the money uh, that, that this bumper crop raised. And, and even though this man had been richly blessed by God with this bumper crop, in trying to solve a good problem, he went about it in a terrible way. He didn't consult God. You know who he consulted? He consulted the smartest person in the room. He consulted himself. <laughs> and I'll paraphrase his train of thought. He goes, well, what am I going to do? I've got this good problem, all this extra produce. What, am I, what should I do? What should I do? I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my perfectly good smaller barns, and I'll build state-of-the-art larger barns, barns that can hold all my extra crops. And then once I've done that, with all the money that I'll make, I'll retire. I'll say to myself, self, take a load off. You've earned it. Way to go, self. Your future is now secure. Kick back and enjoy yourself. Party on from now on. Unfortunately, in Jesus' parable, the man's selfish reverie was interrupted later that night when he died. And God said, his heart breaking, no doubt, you fool. You fool, your earthly life is over. What's going to happen to all that security, all that stuff you were so focused on? And then Jesus he brilliantly summarizes the message of this parable in verse 21. He says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. That's the setup, friends, to Jesus' teaching on simplicity in Luke chapter 12, verses 22 to 34. Hear the word of the Lord. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. And who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass, the field, which is here today and tomorrow is sown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all these things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom. And these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, 
where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. God bless the reading of his word. I'm always so struck by that parable of the bigger barns. I mean, here's this farmer. He already has barns that are full when his windfall comes. He already has produce inside of his barns. He already has a calling. (laughs) His life is a farmer. But when the bumper crop comes, suddenly his mind is a whirlwind of selfish thoughts. Plans to tear down the good barns to build bigger ones. He gives up on his calling to tend the soil in order to live a life of ease and merriment. The farmer's once simple life, in other words, becomes complex. And all those swirling thoughts are first-person thoughts. I, me, my. What that farmer desperately needed was to listen to what Jesus has to say about simplicity. But before we understand the goal of simplicity, we need to face the problem uh, that, that simplicity solves, and that's the problem of complexity. So what's complexity? Uh, I just gave a, a very simple definition for the purpose of this sermon. Complexity is thinking too much about me. Too much thinking about me. Think of complexity as all those selfish thoughts that fill our mind in the vacuum of God's absence, okay? When we're not thinking about God, complexity is all those selfish and sinful thoughts that flood in. In other words, instead of a simple trust in God, our minds are this complex world of thinking and acting about uh, our concerns and our future. And I think this is what Jesus is warning us against. In fact, I think he's warning us against two key ways that our minds get off track, two key ways we, we pursue complex thinking that distracts us from a simple faith in God. And the first way is thinking too much about stuff. Thinking too much about stuff, thinking too much about money. Verse 29, there was a phrase that jumped out at me, and it's going to jump out at you because it's in yellow. Uh, And that phrase is, do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. It's interesting. Jesus doesn't say do not think about what you'll eat or drink. I mean, we got to go grocery shopping, right? Or maybe uh, lay out our clothes or whatever it might be. But he says, do not set your heart on it. Um, you know, eating and drinking are very important, but, but there is a way that we can uh, go beyond that. We can set our hearts on our appetites. We can, as one translation puts it, become overly concerned about those things. Paul reminds us in 1 Timothy 6, some people eager for money, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. The Bible consistently teaches us that a good thing in moderation Food, drink, money can become an obsession in excess. And I just wonder, as you think about your heart and life, as I think about my heart and life, is there a sense in which some good things have become obsessions and have taken over? In verse 30, Jesus says that's what people who don't know God, he uses the word pagan, uh, just, just means somebody doesn't have a, a relationship with the God of, of Abraham and Isaac and the God of Jesus. He says that's, uh, in, in verse 30, he says, uh, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. So let me just ask you, are there appetites or obsessions in your life right now? 
that you're running after. What does that mean? Well, that maybe you're, you're, you're spending an inordinate amount of time thinking on them. Maybe you're hoarding these things, right? If so, then there's a really good chance that all these complex thoughts about your stuff, <laughs> right, is, is distracting you from seeking the kingdom of God. There's a really good chance that that's become your treasure instead of God being your treasure. There's a really good chance that those things are your heaven on earth instead of your treasure being safe with God in heaven. You know, when it comes to thoughts about stuff, money is one of those obsessions. Now, of course, like food or clothing, money's a good thing. Money puts food on the table. Money helps educate our children. Money helps buy medicine when we're sick. Money's a good thing until it becomes something we set our hearts upon, until it becomes an obsession, until it becomes the main thing we think about. These are the things the pagans run after, people who don't know God, <laughs> people who don't trust in the, in the care of their heavenly father. Maybe that's a good question for us. Do I run after money? Do I overwork for money? Do I think about it all the time? Is my appetite for money running me into the ground? That's complexity. Those complex, unhealthy thoughts, those thoughts of bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger barns, right? I think it's a warning light. I think it's a check engine light. Does anybody, no show of hands, feel like the check engine light? is coming on in your soul. So, so, so one of the ways our, lives go, our life goes in complex directions is thinking too much about stuff. A second way is thinking too much about fear. Thinking too much about fear or about worry. What is worry? Worry is thinking too much about all the things that could go wrong. Right? Um, and worry, fear, can hijack our souls. Jesus says some powerful things about worry in our passage, uh, about the ways that unnecessary fear and worry actually damages us. And I, I want to just walk through these really quickly. One of the things that worry does is it shrinks our horizon. It shrinks our horizon. Yes, our food, our clothing is important, but God calls us to something bigger. But if we're not careful, we'll become over-focused on the physical what does Jesus say in verse 23? He says, for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Now, as I've been preaching this sermon, right, I've been very conscious that, well, that's easy for me to say because I haven't, I haven't had food insecurity this week like so many in our, in our community have. And so I just want you to know, we're going to talk about that uh, in, in just a minute. Um, but, but I want you to ask yourself the question, what happens when all of your life becomes consumed with worry? Then what happens is the things that we're worrying about takes our eyes off of God's horizon. Get this, when we are worrying so often, guess what we stop noticing? We stop noticing sunsets. We stop noticing stars. We stop noticing smiles. We stop noticing blue bonnets. We stop noticing life's many blessings to us. Why? Because our, our minds have, have, have been made small. We're, we're focused only on the concerns of the day. And maybe you're thinking, well, yeah, I'm sure worry has some negative side effects, a lot of things do, but, but worry's still good for something, right? Or why would we do it so often? And, uh, and I wanna tell you secondly, that Jesus tells us that worry is powerless to change anything. What does worry 
positively contribute to your lives? Nothing. Nada. Zilch. Jesus again puts it pretty plainly in verse 25. Who, who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Physicians might say worry will take hours and days and months from your life. I can remember talking to an older family member one time, and, and she was rather famous for her worrying. And she says, you know what I do all day? I sit in my chair and I worry about all of you. And of course, I, a preacher boy, this is my opportunity, you know, and I tried to lovingly suggest that worry was not a productive activity. And she looked at me aghast, and she said, if I don't worry about you, who will? (laughs) Well, God. Uh, I don't know if I was bold enough to say it, though, at the time. I don't think I did a very good job of sharing with her how worry reduces our vision, how Worry overpromises but never delivers. Ultimately, the worst thing about worry, though, is, is what Jesus tells us, that, that worry blinds us to God's care. When we're worrying, we can't see how God is providing for us. There's this fascinating comparison. Maybe you notice it in verses 27 and 28. God compares two things. One of them is a wildflower, and the other is you, okay? And what does he say about the wildflower. Well, not to show you up or anything, but when Jesus talks about the wildflower, he shows us this creation that is remarkably free of anxiety. Here it is, this vulnerable little plant out in the field, and yet listen to what Jesus says about this flower in verse 27. He says, consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin, so that yet I tell you, not even King Solomon, who was the richest man on earth, I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these wildflowers. Jesus speaks of a a lily, maybe, or crocus. And what stands out is what that flower does not do. Doesn't worry about its wardrobe, doesn't engage in back-breaking labor. Uh, And I'm sure there's a part of us that wants to say, well, look, little wildflower, your little brain is way too small. You don't know how the world works. If you did, uh, you know, you would worry because nobody's going to worry for you. You're going to have to worry for yourself, and you better start frantically figuring out what you're going to wear tomorrow. Uh, it, it, you know, and, and, and yet that little wildflower, she could talk, would say, you know what? I let God worry about that. God just has a way of making things grow. <laughs> And he does it effortlessly, and he does it gloriously. Jesus says that King Solomon, who no doubt owned his own clothing line, (laughs) who had a stable of artists and seamstresses making his royal robes, King Solomon could not come anywhere near matching the splendor, the beauty of that wildflower. Now watch how Jesus brings the point home In verse 28, he says, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, that flower which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? What is he saying? He's saying, human, you see the way I care for the flower. And the flower eventually is going to be fuel in someone's oven. But you're worried that I don't care about you? Human, your worry is a lack of faith in me. Like I said, as I prepared this sermon, I've had in mind especially those of you who have legitimate concerns about how you're going to pay your rent this month. 
And, and, and one of the things that I've been praying is that God would give you the opportunity and us the opportunity to see how your church family and God's faithfulness can bless you in a tough time. I spent a lot of time thinking about complexity, this flooding of our minds with thoughts of stuff and fear and what might happen. Um, I spent a good bit of time on it because I think Jesus spends a good bit of time on it. But, but what we probably really want to know today is, well, well, what then is the discipline of simplicity? And as I read this text, I think we can say two things about simplicity. Simplicity is focusing our mind on God's provision and God's plans. God's provision, how God takes care of us. God's plan, God's kingdom, what God wants us to cooperate with him to do. Simplicity is letting God do the worrying for us. Simplicity is enjoying what God has already given us instead of relentlessly seeking more and more and more. Simplicity is asking God to create a, a calm and peaceful space in our hearts and minds. Simplicity is conf confessing greed, confessing worry. Simplicity is meditating on who God is and, and what God has, has given us. And I think it's, simplicity is beautifully captured in a rather well-known saying of Jesus in, in Luke 12, 31, uh, but seek his kingdom, Matthew uh, 6, Sermon on the Mount, but, says, but seek first, right? But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. There's a holy logic here, friends. If all we think about are these things, and not the king and his kingdom, right, we're going to miss out on so much. But if we, if we seek his kingdom... If we seek his kingdom instead of this complex jumble of concern and, and fear, if we turn our attention to a king who loves us and his plans for us and his plans for our world, right? God has a way of taking care of us. God has a way of supplying maybe not what we always want, but what we need. Makes me think of something I've experienced hundreds of times. I bet you have too. You're being hosted at a delicious dinner, you loved the entree, you loved everything about the meal, but if you're honest, your mind has been on those pies up on the countertop. That's the thing you're really waiting for. And let's just say the hostess is sitting right here and you're sitting right next to the hostess and it's time for pie. And so she starts slicing the pie and has that little cool little pie server thing and she puts the, the, the ample piece of pie on a plate and then she dops it, uh, puts, puts kind of like this, what am I trying to say? Not dop. Dollop, thank you. See, I told you, I can't plagiarize. I can't, I, I can't speak two-syllable words. But, uh, but she puts a dollop of, uh, of, of whipped cream on, on the piece of pie and then she hands it to you and what does she say? Pass it down. Pass it down. Right? So, that's what she says. That's what she says. <laughs> but you're holding that piece of pie, right? And in that moment, you have a choice to make. You can shrink your vision down to that one little pie plate. That's all that you can see. You can conclude that contrary to what Jesus says, life is not more than food. Life is food, right? You can live like an orphan. Right? You can plop that plate down in front of you 
And you can greedily shovel as much pie into your mouth as you can before somebody takes it away. In fact, maybe you could even get a little pile up of pie plates as she's passing it to you and you can eat from all of them, right? That's one option. That's one way of doing it. Or, of course, you can keep passing, keep passing, keep serving the person on your right, keep serving the person on your right, and trust that the hostess has thought of you too. You can serve and enjoy. I think that's a pretty good parallel for us. Do we overfocus on the pie, whatever passes for pie in your life right now? Do we shrink our life down to the level of appetite? Or do we practice simplicity? So maybe you're saying, okay, that sounds theoretical. How, how would I do this practically? How would I practically make simplicity more part of my daily life? Well, as I've already confessed, I'm as much a learner as you are. I, I certainly have my frivolous possessions. I certainly uh, have struggled with worry. Uh, but, but I think here's some helpful steps. We'll run th- through these really quickly. But the first is simply to pray for it. Pray for simplicity. Maybe pray a prayer of confession. Lord, my life has gotten complex. All this stuff and all this fear. Uh, And still I keep thinking about me, 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 like the guy with bigger barns. Lord, teach me to trust your provision. Teach me to pass it down. Teach me to find my contentment in you and not my next purchase. Second thing we can do is practice gratitude. One of the things that, that kills off Greed is just meditating on all the good stuff we already have, (laughs) all the good things God has already given us. See, sometimes we meditate on the things that pop up in an Amazon Prime search bar, hypothetically speaking. And we don't think about all the things we already have and give thanks for those things. And so maybe when something pops up in the search bar, we ought to ask why three times. Now, why do I need this? No, 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 no. Now, why do I really need this? No, no, no. Why is this so important a purchase? Maybe even leave it in the shopping cart for 24 hours and come back the next day and and say, well, is this an impulse or is this something I really need? We practice gratitude and it can help help us uh, with our consumerism. And then I think, of course, we can live generously. Isn't that what Jesus says in verse 33? He says to, to sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Whenever I do premarital counseling, some of you who I've done premarital counseling with will remember this. When we talk about money, I always remind them that Jesus said, you know, uh, no one can serve two masters. And money always wants to be the the leader, the ruler of the marriage. And and I tell them that nothing dethrones money by giving it away. You think you're so important, $20 bill? Here, I'm gonna give it to someone who needs it more than I do. You know, when you give stuff away, there's less to manage, there's less to clean, there's less to, there's less to repair. We can live simply knowing that our generosity has an eternal impact. We can think more about the smile that generosity will bring to someone else's plate, or face than, than, than the smile it will bring to our face. Anybody willing to try to simplify your life this week? What would be one little step? What's clear is that the devil specializes in flooding 
our minds with complex thoughts, sinful thoughts that tempt us and distract us and make us miserable. The narrator in Norman MacLean's novel, A River Runs Through It, is a, is a good fly fisherman, but he acknowledges that his younger brother, Brad Pitt, I think in the movie, uh, is, is the master. And in one passage of the novel, he describes how his younger brother would do something uh, called shadow casting. He would, he would cast this fly upstream and, and, and he, would, he would just let the fly kind of skim across the surface of the water, but never touch down. He would do it five times. Five shadows of the fly. And he said eventually after those five shadows, the fish would lock onto that fly. And that's why his brother was such a good fly fisherman. And it made me think when I read that book that the devil is an excellent fly fisherman. How he takes these shadows how he ties these flies that have hooks in them <laughs> that we can't see. And it's just shadow, 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 complex thought, sinful thought, greed, worry, worry, worry. Boom, take the bait. I don't want that. <laughs> I don't want that, do you? I want the freedom that comes in trusting my heavenly father. He's a good good father. He tells me to fear not. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's made me and I am in his hands. And I, if I'm in his hands, I know that I'm safe. He says, fear not, little flock. Fear not. I am pleased to give you my kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, I have the sense, even as we're reading and studying this word today from you, uh, that for some of us, for many of us, Lord, a check engine light has been coming on. There's been a kind of honest recognition that in the vacuum of thoughts about you, our minds have been a restless swirl of complexity focused on worry, focused on what we don't have, focused on our own ability and our own pleasure and our own glory and not you and your supernatural ability and presence and plans and glory. And so Lord, we confess that to you. We're so thankful that you are a God of grace. We're so thankful that Jesus died for people like us and we ask, Lord, for the cleansing that comes through your grace. And we ask for the strength and focus that comes through your spirit. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.